The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. I'm Luke 11. I'm going to read this passage for us, and then we're going to talk about how uh, we're going to talk through it together, okay? Uh, so, this is Luke 11, just to kind of set the stage for us. Jesus, in terms of the way Luke has presented things, he has visited Mary and Martha's house and talked about uh, being near him as a part of this essential core of being a disciple. He then teaches his disciples how to pray. And then he goes into a section following that where he's getting demons out. And we talked last week about how that was primarily about displaying the type of power in Jesus' kingdom that is important to him, that characterizes him. And so here we come to verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment of the men, with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no, no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word, uh, we confess that we engage, we're here in Luke 11 uh, with what seems to be very kind of difficult or contentious or mysterious sayings and how they all work together. We ask you would help us to see Jesus, that we would experience who he is through this passage and that he would shape us to be like him so that our neighbors experience you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, does anybody have any, like, solidly good celebrity sightings? Like, anybody, like, meet, like, a legit celebrity? Ooh, I got two. You next. Mary Adams just saw pink? Mary Morris. She just saw pink. No kidding. All right. George Clooney. Wow. Oh, wow.
Okay. No kidding. Melanie, you have got all of these. <laughs> you are a sleeper on all these crazy stories. <laughs> Okay. 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 I'm going to have to go check your IMDb page after this. <laughs> no, that's great. Okay, so I don't know who some of those people are, but I'm sure other people do. Oh, no kidding. Nice. All right, I didn't quite realize that we were going to get so many pretty sweet celebrity sighting stories. Um, I was going to relay a story about the Queen Elizabeth. I'm not sure it matters as much anymore, but I'll relay this story, and then we'll start looking at our passage. <laughs> I find it fascinating because the way we meet celebrities changes how we kind of, inter because of who they are, right? They kind of change it. So there's this famous story, or somewhat famous, uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, she would constant, she would regularly visit the Scottish Highlands, and she would just kind of go out by herself with her security detail. And she, at one point, was walking the Highlands. These Americans walked by. This is before iPhones, and they see her, this elderly woman, talk, you know, out there in the Scottish Highlands, like, "Hey, we're out here. Have you been coming to the Scottish Highlands for a while?" "Oh yeah, I've been coming here every summer." "Have you guys ever seen the Queen?" And Queen Elizabeth, she turns to her, she's like, I've not, but Dick has, her security detail. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's great. Well, can we take a picture with you so that we have a picture with somebody who's met the Queen? <laughs> so they get a selfie with Queen Elizabeth and her security detail, and they walk off, and she just turns to her security guy and is just like, I would love to be a fly on the wall when they look at those pictures with their friends. It's, it's, it's that story, and I think your guys' story as well, there's a certain element of like people that are famous or people that are uh, dignitaries or important. Like, If we don't know who they are, we just kind of treat them like regular people. But when we know who they are, it changes kind of our experience and behavior with them. And the connection with this passage is honestly, it, it seems pretty obvious at face value, right? Jesus is going around in his life in the middle of the Gospel of Luke People know who he is, but some people don't know who he really is. And so they start kind of foisting their expectations on him. They start foisting their concerns on him. They start questioning who he is because they know that he's famous and he's done all this stuff, but they don't really know who he is. And in Jesus' experience of this passage, he has himself revealed who he is enough so that people can really get a sense He's not just some kind of magician walking around. He's actually somebody who is the, the Savior himself, 
God himself walking among us. What I want to do with this passage is a little different than what we've done in the past. I want to just kind of talk through the passage, and then I want to swing back, because to me, it's actually Jesus' behavior in this that's the most profound part, not so much the sign of Jonah, Queen of the South stuff that I think is interesting. I mean, that's interesting in a certain sense, but it's actually the way Jesus engages with these people's expectations. So here's what I want to do. I just want to walk through the passage verse by verse, and then we'll swing back, because what I want to zero in on, the main point for this morning, if you want to say it like this, when we see Jesus rightly, others will see him too. That's a pretty simple statement, and I think that kind of matches what this passage is aiming at. And so what I want to do is I'm just going to read through these verses, and we'll just talk through this real quick. All right, can we go to the, So, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. Here we have, effectively, Jesus saying, I know what you want from me. You want me to prove who I am, and I'm not going to do it. Actually, the only way I'm going to prove who I am is by this, what he calls the sign of Jonah. Now, there's two kind of readings of this. The sign of Jonah, some read this to say that's the preaching that, that Jonah did when he got, so in the Old Testament, Jonah is like the most reluctant missionary ever, right? He just like, I don't like the people that you're sending me to. I'd rather not go to them. And in the, on the way, he gets eaten by a fish or some stories say a whale gets uh, spit back up, goes to Nineveh, and preaches about who God is. Some read that to mean the sign of Jonah is the preaching at, the, at Nineveh about who God is, and some read that to mean the, uh, being, him being eaten by the fish or the whale and then being spit back up. Personally, I take the, the perspective that this is speaking to his being eaten by the whale or swallowed by the whale or the great fish, however you want to frame that. I think that it's very clear from the Jonah story that he dies and then is resurrected in a certain sense. And so that is the sign. Matt, the Gospel of Matthew identifies that as being the sign. Um, you can take either one. But effectively, the sign of Jonah is God's miraculous power through Jonah to reveal who he is to these people. Effectively, Jonah's not really doing a lot other than just being who he is and God doing what he does. Then we have here, verse 31, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment of the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the end of the, uh, of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. If you're familiar with your Bibles, um, this is in 1 Kings 10 or 2 Chronicles 9. Her name is Queen of Sheba. She comes out. She's from a far distant land. I want you to pick up on that. Luke writes this so that he's identifying her as she is of the furthest away you could be from Israel. She is an outsider. She is not a Jew. She is not somebody from the inside group. And she comes and learns the wisdom of Solomon, right? The way of being with God that Solomon embodies, teaches, lives out, right? It's not just the extravagance around Solomon, though that certainly was a part of it. It was more of Solomon's way of being, his living out of his life, his understanding of God's way for our life, that she recognized this is unique. This is the Word of God. This is the wisdom of God. 
and she responds in faith in the Lord. So what Jesus is saying here, when he says verse 31, I'm sorry, verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at this judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they were repented of the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Again, Jesus is putting his finger on this reality. I am greater than the wisdom of Solomon. I'm greater than whatever the, the, the sign of Jonah was. My life, my existence, my being, who I am, is far richer and better than what you're trying to get me to do with these magic tricks on the sun. And frankly, the reality is that Jesus has already done plenty of exorcisms, plenty of miracles, plenty of signs, but they wanted more. And Jesus is saying, no, even people who are on the outside recognize who I am, they would respond to me in faith, and you who have seen this in person are rejecting who I am. Now, verse 33 to 36, we get kind of tripped up with this because I think we read this, these verses and we think light comes in and changes who we are in the inside. In the ancient world, I want to clarify something and then we'll read through this passage with this in mind. In the ancient world, the eyes do not function by allowing light to come in, but by allowing the body's own light to go out. The eye is the conduit and source of the light that makes sight possible. So what they viewed when they said eyes, when Jesus says eyes, we, ha we have this idea when we say like somebody who's done something really dark, we say like his eyes are dead inside. They reveal something. I, in the ancient world, they understood it to mean your eyesight, the way you viewed the world, the way you judged the world, the way you engaged the world, revealed what was on the inside. So now with that in mind, here's the verses. Now after lighting a lamp, uh, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. That's not what he's saying is when your eye is healthy, it's because there is good light on the inside. And if your eye is bad, it's because there is dark darkness on the inside. That's, that's what he's meaning by that phrase. Therefore, be careful lest the eye in you, the light in you, be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. The eyes reveal what you think about the world, and so it reveals what's on the inside. Now, I, I realize we've kind of breezed through this passage. And some of it's just because I think that there's some interesting things about this, you know, this stuff about the sign of Jonah and the Nineveh stuff. I think that's interesting. But I think what's most profound to me about this passage is that Jesus says no. Jesus says, I know that you want me to perform a sign. I know you want me to show you who I am. No. I think this is one of those situations where I'm sure you've had this or you've seen it happen around you. When somebody gets pushed, either in an argument, difficult situation, and they say, no, I will not do that. No, I will not agree with you. No, it reveals more, frankly, about what's on the inside of them, about who they are. 
here's the line, I won't go across it. And I think that's what we get with Jesus in this passage. I think because of his no, because he says, you guys want me to prove who I am, you guys want me to live up to your expectations, I don't play that game. What we actually get in this passage is not just Jesus' conviction of like, I don't play by your rules, we actually get an insight into his heart that he is in fact, because he says no, he becomes safe for us. He becomes the type of Jesus that we can live with, that we can be with, that wants us to be with him, that is a healing presence and safe for us to be who we are. So, I want to do this by revisiting the passage. I think there is something here to explore with Jesus saying no. I think there's a lot for you to explore here in your own time or with your small group to say, when Jesus says no, what is that? how does that create a safe environment for me? But I want to just kind of talk through four things that came to my mind as I looked at this passage and just kind of live out this question. When Jesus says no, he shows that he is safe, to, safe for us. So we're going to go to the first thing. He refuses. Why is he safe? He shows that he's safe because he refuses to make us prove ourselves. You see, when they're asking for a sign, they're pushing Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous because he just cast out a demon, right? I don't know about you. I like our church. I think you guys are great. Ain't nobody here who's ever cast out a demon. So, like, this is crazy to me that they have somebody, at least to my knowledge. If you have, please let me know. But they have somebody here who's just cast out a demon, and they're like, give me more. I need to know. And Jesus says, I'm not going to prove myself. I mean, how many of us, either internally or have had it said to us, when somebody disagrees with you or have somebody disagreed with another person, and the response is, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know? I've proved myself. Do you want me to prove it again? Do you know who you're messing with? That sort of language, that sort of impulse to defend, to prove yourself, I'm enough. That sort of thing. You see, Jesus, Jesus says, no, I don't, I don't need to prove who I am. I know who I am. I know who God thinks that I am. I know what God thinks about me. I know what I think about me. I know what I think about the other people around me. I know who I am. I don't need to prove myself. We live in a culture, and this is the generation language that Jesus is using back then, that I don't think, frankly, has changed. We live in a culture that is a constant cycle of making us competitive, commodities, people that have to prove that we're worth something. That in fact, who we are, and more importantly, what we've done is what gives us value and worth. Right? This idea of be something. It's so deeply rooted in our, in our culture, in our society, that it is suffocating our humanity. How many issues in our lives are caused by this nagging question, whether we vocalize it or not, am I, for me, am I a good enough pastor? Am I a good enough husband? Am I a good enough man? Am I a good enough father? Am I good enough? And when I just get provoked a little bit, I have to go into 
I need to defend who I am, and you are about to pay. It's in that emotional space that Jesus says, no. I do not need to prove myself, and because Jesus doesn't need to prove himself, he's safe for you because you don't have to prove yourself to Jesus. He wants you to be near him. He wants you to be a human being with him. And we know that because we just had in this story this picture of Mary and Martha. And Jesus, amidst all of the awkwardness of what Mary was doing and sitting at his feet in terms of cultural expectations and the, the correction to Martha, the picture of what he wants from us is just to be with him. You notice in that story, Mary, Mary did not have to prove anything. Martha was trying to prove something and she didn't need to. Jesus just wants us to be with him. That is what the Bible means by grace. When we say grace, it just means you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to live up to any expectations. Okay, the second thing that I see here. When Jesus says no, he shows us he's safe because he chooses to be in our regular lives. What I'm seeing here is that they wanted the dramatic. They wanted the signs. They wanted the extravagant. They wanted the lights and the show. They wanted Jesus be on the big stage and do the, do the concert for us, bro. Be loud and large and be humongous. And Jesus says, that's not who I am. I, who I am, I can do that, the exorcisms. I can do the signs and wonders, the only one that you're going to get is going to be out of who I am, which is my death and resurrection. Otherwise, I live among people. You'll notice that in the, the way this passage develops, he says yes to being at the humble table of Martha and Mary, and he says no to the extravagance of the magic show out front. His death and resurrection, his death and new life lives most profoundly in the regular, humble reality of our lives. The dreams that die, the frustrations of our schedule, the things that don't work out, the realization of how we are not quite who we thought we were and there's more darkness to work through, that is where Jesus sits at our table and gladly gives us his new life because of who he is. The Christian life is full of wonder, but often unglamorous. And I think for me, that's why I love being a part of a humble church. As I think about you guys, and I think about the way I see God working in your lives, I think that's the more profound thing to me than a building and an amazing sound system and an amazing spectacle up front. I get the most privileged seat in this room right now. I get to see and be reminded of what God's doing in each of you and how profound that is. I mean, have you thought when we sit here on Sunday mornings, we are sitting with little, almost like movie posters. Like the, you're just a movie poster when you stand here 
for all the, the theater of God's grace in your life that's happened in the last week, or all that he's doing in the last month, or all the dynamics in your life that are hard, that are difficult, but are often incredibly mundane. I mean, unless you guys are getting in, I mean, George Clooney, meeting George Clooney, that's pretty spectacle, that's pretty awesome, but sorry, I'm a huge Ocean's Eleven fan, like that's not gonna go away for me. But your life is this little window on a Sunday morning that reveals this whole theater of the profound reality that God loves to live on your block and sit at your table. And we often want the big spectacle of the major miracles. And Jesus is primarily interested in being in your life as it is. Let's move on in this passage. Because Jesus says no, he shows us that he's safe because he stabilizes us with his quiet wisdom. You notice that the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, comes to Solomon looking for answers, trying to understand her life. And she finds with Solomon, as when we read the book of Proverbs, or the book of Ecclesiastes, that it is primarily a way of being that most defines the way of God, rather than having little fortune cookie answers, or cat posters of wisdom. It is the way of being that Jesus chooses, and he chooses in this passage to say, I'm not going to do the big speaker gig. I'm going to do the regular living with people thing, living among them, being with people and being himself the way of God and the peace of God's presence. I get the sense that Jesus, when he's with, you know, who knows what he was teaching with Mary and Martha at the table. Doesn't record it. It seems most important that he was there, continuing to speak the word of God to them and be the word of God to them. Often, wisdom is quietly listening to the heart of God and his story in Jesus over the chatter and chaos of the world around us. I don't know about you, uh, I find it most comforting at times to doom scroll on my phone, which is incredibly unhealthy for me. Um, it is something to do. It is not something healthy to do. But in those moments, it's a way of salving or comforting myself in a twisted way when things are hard. But the, the presence of God, the wisdom of God for us is not learn a new thing, find a new thing. It's being with God. It's being quiet with Him and Him being quietly with us. And then I want to say, and this, I'll say this, and then we're going to turn to a few applications on this, which won't be shocking. <clears throat> when Jesus says no, He shows us that He's safe because He sees us and loves to renew us. You'll notice this whole light thing, the light lamp thing. I think we both, I think we are reading, when we read this lamp thing, and we have the clarity of like, oh, the eye, healthy, bad, reveals what's on the inside. I think we all begin to recognize, hmm, I'm not sure I want people to see what's on the inside. 
the wrath, the lust, the jealousy, all that stuff. But the reality is that this story, especially where we are in the Gospel of Luke, is marked by Jesus walking towards the cross, where he bears on public display all the darkness that we are. He knows what's on the inside. And he still loves us. He, in fact, in a certain sense, he has paid and owns that darkness in us. That is what he's dying for on the cross. He's paying the penalty for those things. He's paying the price of those things. And they no longer continue to have influence in us to the extent that Jesus loves us, which is infinite and unending. Jesus sees what's on the inside. And because his light then begins to shine in us and change us, we then begin to be filled with his light. And the eyes of our bodies, the picture that they have here, begin to become healthy and good and full of light. It's okay to be seen for all that we are by Jesus. It's safe. So, I want to point out here, and then we'll swing to application. Verse 33 and 36. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. And then verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will, holy, it will be wholly bright as when the lamp with its rays gives you light. The whole picture of what Jesus is saying here is, look, the whole lamp coming out of your, body, out of your eyes, it's for the good of those around you. It's a community event, right? As you are shaped to be healthy on the inside, as you are shaped with the light of Jesus to be more full of light and less of dark, so to speak, other people around you begin to notice, oh, there's light here in this community. That's the idea. It shapes you so that other people begin to experience the light of Jesus. So then I want to revisit those four things and just tweak them slightly so that we begin to see, as we see this Jesus, as he says no and becomes safe for us, he then shapes us to be the type of people who are now like Jesus in our community. He refuses, we refuse to make others prove themselves, just as Jesus refuses to make us prove ourselves. You might just call this being gracious. Right? Imagine how many people in our community, wherever you are, whatever that looks like, that dynamic of that cultural pressure to prove ourselves. Don't you know who I am? The contention, the, 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 the clawing to prove ourselves. As we begin to be shaped by, I don't need to prove myself to Jesus. And if he runs the universe, I can kind of relax. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. And now, as my neighbors begin to be around me, or you, they relax. Because they begin to experience what it's like to be with somebody that they don't have to prove themselves to. Oh, I can just be who I am. I can, I can just 
relax. As we learn, we don't have to prove ourselves. Others will relax in our presence because they don't need to prove their worth to us. And we become safe for people to be with. Second thing, right, just as Jesus chooses to be in our regular lives, we choose to be in people's regular lives. We don't need to just show up or be around the dramatic moments. We are a part of the regular lives of the people around us. We also don't need to then feel the pressure to have certain expectations of people. We don't demean or belittle others or bully them. We too needed God's presence in our lives to become aware of our sin and his grace. Others too, they need Jesus' presence to see the same thing. We then can humbly recognize okay, God needed to wake me up so that I could see who I am. I can humbly be with other people when they are asleep, so to speak, when they don't see who they are, and just be a part of their lives. Continuing to be a presence of Jesus to help them to be a part of God's work in their lives, to see Jesus. Third thing, we stabilize our community with our faithful presence. Just as Jesus stabilizes us with his quiet wisdom, I just think that's one of the most profound things about who we are as a church and where we sit in the community. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but for over, we've been here coming up on seven, eight, in terms of this location, seven years, I think, six years, something like that. Do you know, Drew? Yeah, six, seven years. Seven, we'll just say seven. Just, you know, why not round up? I've seen people come in and out in their recovery work, in their addiction work, in their exploring of Jesus, and sometimes they don't even remember that they've been here before. And it's actually a part of what I'm grateful for, what God's doing in our congregation, that people have the ability to have a safe place where they can come, and we are just faithfully present. I mean... There's a lot of things that churches can do, but I think one of the primary functions of a church is to own a location and to say God lives, loves this place too, and we get to join what he's doing. And just be faithfully present as a part of what God's doing in this community. Final thing, we see others in love to participate in their renewal. I would just call this being loving. People may be nasty to us and reveal their own darkness. But as people who have our own darkness that has been seen by Jesus and yet more deeply loved by the light of Jesus, we get to experience seeing people for who they are, even seeing their darkness for what it really is. And we get to be the type of people who get to love people and see who they are and still participate in their lives. This isn't in us versus them. This is in us among ourselves. This is how Jesus has loved us, and we get to be a part of how Jesus loves those around us. So, you might not see all of those dynamics in this passage. I hope you do. You might see other things that I didn't see. I think the most profound thing in this passage is when Jesus says no, 
He reveals something about who He is to us. And it's in seeing Him and seeing that about Him that shapes us to be the people that other people see more clearly Jesus through us. Let's pray. God, as we have worked through this passage and thought through what it means to see Jesus, I pray that Him revealing who He is to us I ask that you would help us to be the type of people that are like him for the community around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.